I want to talk about today about leftovers, all right? Who loves leftovers in the place? If you're, some of you guys are eating leftovers in your cottage right now because it's too hot to cook, right? That this, well, there's, I feel like leftovers are a very polarizing entity in our world and our existence because some of us love leftovers and some of us kind of hate leftovers, don't we, if we're being honest? And it's, it's kind of interesting because it depends on what age you are too. I remember as a kid, as a child, when I asked what was for supper and I heard the term leftovers, that was always bad thing. Like every single time, that was never what I wanted to hear as a kid, right? Something changed when you put that food into the fridge and you took it back out. Like it was just not quite the same. And as kids don't love hearing, hey, we're having the same thing we had last night for supper, right? I don't know what it is. But then when you become a parent, everything changes, doesn't it? My parents in the room, like, like leftovers are like your saving grace. They're like the best thing ever. Like why wouldn't we just cook one meal for enough to last us the entire month and just eat that every day? Like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, like that is way easier. It's way more economic. It just, it just makes sense, right? So as a parent, my entire view on leftovers has changed. And it, it kind of depends on what you're eating too, doesn't it? Because some foods, for some reason, are actually better when they're leftover, aren't they? They actually taste better. Like you make a nice soup and you put that thing in the fridge and something changes overnight. I don't know what it is, but it's better the next day. And there's other things that are never as good, like mac and cheese, you know, something like you just can't get that back. Whatever that magic is on day one, you never get that back when you take it back out of the refrigerator. I don't know why. I can't explain it, but it's just the way that it is, right? And leftovers are, they're always the second option. I think that as convenient as they are sometimes, you're never going to go to a restaurant and sit down and pay for yesterday's leftovers, are you? Like, you don't ever want to, oh, what's, what's your special today? And they're like, actually, it's uh, yesterday's warmed up meatloaf, all right? Like, microwaved fresh to order every single time. And it's only 50 bucks, right? Like, you're not going to pay for that. You're going to stand up and you're going to walk out because what? You want the best. You want fresh. You want original. You want like fresh off the boat, right? You're not paying for yesterday's leftovers and something there's that, that kind of like approach to leftovers that we all have in our life. Leftovers are never the best choice. They're always secondary. And it's yes, it's true about food, but it's also, you guys are like, what are you even talking about today in church? Like leftovers, preaching for like five minutes on leftovers that it, it actually comes to play in our relationships too. And I think that, you know, in, in my life and in my family, like there, there are moments in my life where I have to be careful who I give my best to, right? And you've done this before and you've seen this play out in your life. Like I, I can't give my best to everybody here and then go home and give my leftovers to my family. Or I failed as a dad and I failed as a follower of Jesus if I do it that way. And so that's a tension that we all navigate from time to time, isn't it? Giving our best when we're in public, giving our best when we're at work, and then giving the people that we love the most our leftovers. We all navigate that tension. It's got to be something that it, it's comes up in our family life. It comes up in our, in our friendships, too. Like, you don't, someone's never going to be a great friend to you if you only ever get their leftovers, are they? Like, you're going you're gonna to move on and you're going to find somebody else. Maybe you're not married and you don't have a family yet. Maybe you're dating, you're in the dating world, right? And you find someone, and if someone is only ever giving you their leftovers and somebody else is always getting their best, what are you going to do? You're going to drop them like it's hot and you're going to move on, right? Because, like, there's bigger fish in the sea, there's better fish. Like, if someone's not giving you their best, and they're first, like, then they don't deserve you, all right? That's your free dating tip for the day, all right? Like, leftovers in relationships are never, ever good. But here's the thing, all right? Leftovers are always a secondary choice, but then as we've been working through this gospel of Mark, and, like, I am excited to be here today and sort of
sort of close up this chapter in our Mark series. Pastor Brent is back next weekend with an amazing, amazing, incredible series that we could not be more excited about called Pray Like Jesus, that I need to know how to pray. I desire to know how to pray better. And I know so many of us wonder, like I hear all the time, like I'm not even sure how to pray. If I had to pray out loud, I wouldn't know what to say or how to do it. Listen, this series is going to be so helpful to us as a church. So make sure you're here for that. But uh, as I was looking through this kind of like final chapter in our Mark series today and like reading sort of through all the different messages that we've preached and this kind of this thread, I discovered this thread of leftovers in, in the Gospels. And I was like, this is interesting. I've never seen this before because, you know, we even talked about this a little bit last week. One of the most famous miracles that Jesus did was the feeding of the 5,000, right? And we've heard that story. If you were here last week, we talked about it a bit, that there was this little boy that came up with five loaves and two fish and said, Jesus, here, if you can take this and feed people with it, and Jesus multiplied it and fed 5,000. Actually, it was probably more like 20,000 people. We said the Scotiabank Arena, right? Like fed all these people with this tiny little lunch. And what happened afterwards? Jesus sent the disciples around with baskets and they gathered up what? Leftovers. And they had 12 baskets of leftovers after this amazing miracle. And then it happened again. There's another kind of like secondary miracle, I guess you could call it, where it says Jesus fed the 4,000 a little later on. And they did the same thing where they fed all these people with just a little bit of a tiny lunch. And then after that miracle, they had seven baskets full of leftovers. All right. So it's like there's something going on here. And then the passage I want us to read today in Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 24, again, is a passage that is all about leftovers. So do not sleep on leftovers, guys. They can be great tomorrow. They can be great today. You never know when you're going to need it. So check this out. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Look at what happens here. It says that then Jesus left Galilee, and he went north to the region of Tyre. And he didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. And right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. And since she was a Gentile, born in Syrian Phoenicia, Jesus told her, first, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews, and isn't, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs, all right? Well, that's like a cold statement. And she replies, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates, the leftovers. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. So, I mean, there's a lot to, a lot to dissect there, a lot to walk through. And like, first of all, we see this woman coming to the feet of Jesus, and Jesus basically calls her a dog, right? Like, so it seems, it seems like what's happening to me when you read this, like, you wouldn't expect that from Jesus. Like, if you came to church today and, you know, one of the pastors here called you a dog, like, you would leave, right? Like, what kind of a church is this? What are we running here? Hey, the guy we based all this off of called this lady a dog, all right? So, and it's, it's interesting because this lady was a woman, that this passage says here in Mark, that she was a Syrian Phoenician. So, essentially, she would have been someone who was a for our purposes today, she was a despised enemy of the Jewish community. The Jewish community that Jesus was born into, the ones that were set apart, you know, from the beginning of time in the Old Testament and God had journeyed with, like, and promised that the Messiah would come through their line. So this is a special people, a chosen people by God. And the Syrian Phoenicians were kind of like their arch enemies. They were bad people. They were the wrong side of the tracks, like not the kind of people who had access or should have had access to Jesus. 
And not only that, but she's a woman, right? And in that culture, it was a patriarchal society. Men get all the love, they get all the respect, they get all the accolades, and women got nothing. So not only was she a bad person, but she was also a woman of the bad people. And then she comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, like, I'm not going to take food from my kids and feed it to the dogs. Why would, I, why would I give this to you? Why would I give you what you're asking for? Why would I give you what you desired? And here's another thing that's important for us to understand in their context is that for them, because there was such a tension between the Jewish community and this uh, Syrian community is that that essentially like they would use the word dog as a derogatory term for them the same way we would use a word for a female dog today is kind of how they would the Jews would have described these Syrian Phoenician people so when Jesus said this he's nodding to the fact that he knows who this woman is and he knows where she comes from she he knows her background he knows her history he knows what all the Jewish people around him and in his circles think of her that she's a dog but what's interesting is that the word that he actually uses there in the original language isn't that derogatory term, but it's the word that they would have used more for their pet dogs, all right? So Jesus, like, it's just, I, I say all this to say that it's like not that Jesus is necessarily, he's not calling this woman a dog, but he's almost like a, almost like with a smile on his face, acknowledging the tension that exists between her community and his community. And he's kind of acknowledging the fact that how, how really ridiculous it is that she's coming to him like no other per person from her community would have dared to come to him who was an important Jewish rabbi and teacher in this, in this age. Like, and here she was coming to him. And so he just sort of, he's sort of like with a, almost like a tongue-in-cheek kind of moment acknowledges the fact that all these people here think you're a dog. All these people here hate your guts. All these people here know what kind of a person you are, but yet here you are asking me for something that you so desperately want, that you so desperately need, something that no one else in your position would ever dare to ask for. He's acknowledging how incredibly culturally inappropriate it was for her to even be there in this moment and be asking him for this. And, and here's the thing. He's also saying, like he says, why would I take my food from the children and give it to the dogs and Jesus' mission at this point was to establish himself as the, as the Messiah, the coming Savior in the Jewish community for the chosen people. The plan was for the gospel as we know it today, the gospel was for everyone, amen? And there's such a hope in the world for that. The gospel was for this woman, but at this point in time, Jesus' mission wasn't to take it to all the ends of the earth. It was to build up his people, his team, and when he left and sent it to heaven later on, he was leaving them in charge of taking it out to the world. So essentially what was happening is this lady was like, she was like skipping through in the show you know what I mean like one of those people who like reads a book and you read the last page first like that's what she's doing she's she's basically cutting in line like the gospel was for everyone but right now we're establishing this in point a and point b and this wasn't this wasn't the linear track that everybody else was on and this woman's trying to hop and cut right to the end of everything here and Jesus is saying like I, like you're taking from the children and giving it to the dogs like it's not it's not time yet it's a, it's the plan to be sure and it's going to happen eventually but it's not yet the time and I love that in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 15 if you read there it's just another account of that exact same story and Matthew's telling the same kind of story and it says that basically that when she gets there the disciples tell Jesus like let's just let's just send this woman away like she's she's being annoying she's bothering us What's interesting is that she's there to talk to Jesus. She's not saying anything to the disciples, but they say, Jesus, she's bothering us. They love to lump themselves in with Jesus. 
love to sort of like get like big heads. Like, isn't that funny how power goes to our heads sometimes as people? Little men love to like exercise their power. And they're like, she's, she's bothering us, Jesus. So let's just, let's just send her away. And it says that for the first couple of moments that she's begging Jesus to, to speak to her and to heal her daughter. And Jesus just lets her talk. He doesn't even acknowledge that she's there. At first, he doesn't speak to her. And the disciples say, let's just send her away. She's annoying. and She shouldn't even be here. She has no place. But then Jesus opens up a dialogue with her. The fact that Jesus even spoke to this woman, the fact that he even had a conversation in the first place was a huge deal. It was culturally inappropriate. It wasn't normal. And he says this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 24, Jesus said to the woman, I was only sent to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. A little more insight there into what's happening. Say, my job right now is to help these guys understand their role in the gospel, and eventually it'll come to you. Eventually it'll come to your people. I'm here to help the ones that are supposed to know better. I'm here to help the ones that have lost their way. This nation that's been set aside since, you know, the beginning of time, since God started this whole thing and created all of this, like they've lost their way. I'm here to sort of set them straight. And when they're doing their job right, then they will come to you. Then they will serve you. Then they'll bring the gospel to your people, right? This lady is essentially, she's asking for exclusive membership perks that she hasn't paid for, right? It's like trying to get into Costco without a card. Good luck with that. That just ain't going to happen, Right? We all know Costco's like the ritzy country club around here, isn't it? And like those people are like, if you don't have your card, you're going home, sir. I'm sorry. Like you're just not getting in. And this lady basically is trying to get into Costco without having the card, right? She hasn't paid for the membership perks. And everybody else is saying she doesn't deserve to be here. And guess what? She knows that she doesn't deserve it better than anybody else in that room. Everybody knows who she is. Everybody knows what she's done. Everybody knows where she comes from. Everybody knows what she represents and what she stands for. She understands better than anybody there that she doesn't deserve it. She understands better than anybody there that she doesn't have rights to it, that she doesn't have access to it, but she's heard about this man, Jesus, and she knows he's different. And her hope has been ignited into a fire that can't be quenched. And she comes back a second time, and she just keeps coming back to Jesus. And again, in Matthew 15, verse 25, it says that she comes, and this is so important, it says she, come, she came and she worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. She calls him Lord in this moment, begging for his help, and she calls him Lord. She recognizes Jesus for who he is in this moment. And this is such a massive deal, and it's just one little word that we can skate by so quickly in the Gospels, but it matters so much because she recognizes Jesus for who he is. She recognizes him as the Lord and Savior of the world, a Syrian Phoenician woman from the wrong side of the tracks that was never a part of the Jewish community, that wasn't brought up with their texts and wasn't brought up with their promises and wasn't brought up with their traditions and with their culture. She recognizes this man for who he is. That's why she's so tenacious in her desire and her pursuit of Jesus and what he can offer her because she knows and believes in who he is with all of her heart. And she's not taking no for an answer. And it's so fascinating because so many of these Jewish people, so many even of Jesus' disciples, that he was there to help, right? His chosen children, the lost sheep, he called them. So many of these people that should have known better, that were raised with those traditions, that were raised with those Old Testament texts, it would have so permeated their entire culture and their entire being. They weren't aware enough to recognize Jesus for who he was. They weren't aware enough to give him the worship that he deserved. They weren't aware enough to call him the Lord and Savior of their own lives. And this lady's response is so powerful because she literally doesn't miss a beat. She just says, Lord, I need you. Lord, you can help me. Lord, please save me. She calls him Lord. And then what she says next is incredible because we already read it. 
He says, why would I give my food to, why would I take it from the children and give it to the dogs? And without missing a beat, she says, even the dogs get to eat the scraps underneath the table. Even the dogs get the leftovers. Even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that the children drop. And it's such a fascinating moment here because this lady, again, she's got some, she's got some real chutzpah, all right, to come to Jesus and she's being there and everybody else is trying to kick her out and she's just without missing a beat. Listen, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that hit the floor. And we all, if you get a dog, you know what that's like, right? They are there and they are waiting and they are ready and they are not going to miss that opportunity. Like try and get that before they get it. It's not going to happen. Even the dogs get to eat what the kids drop. And she's saying like, listen, your people, your lost sheep, your children, this Jewish community, they waste enough of your blessings. They waste enough of your power. They don't, you're, you're desperately trying to help them understand who you are and I see you for who you are and they don't even get it. They're wasting enough of your blessings. Like, I don't even need the full enchilada, Jesus. I just need a little tiny piece. All I need is a crumb. Like, if I, I believe in you so much that all I need is just a crumb of your blessing, a crumb of your power, just, just an ounce, just a, just a glimpse and I know it'll be enough for my daughter. Even the dogs could eat the, scrum, the crumbs that fall from the table. And here's the thing, church, is there's, there's a whole lot of power in the crumbs, isn't there? There's a whole lot of power in the leftovers, the things that we normally that we take for granted, the things that we forget about, the things that we see God do. And then in a moment of weakness or a moment of something else that we, we forget just how good God is, we forget just how much he loves us, we forget what we've seen him do in the past, there's power in the leftovers. There's power in the crumbs. Little is much when God is in it. And these are incredibly bold words from an outsider, incredibly bold words from a woman who had no reason to be there whatsoever. She calls him Lord and she begs for help. Now she stands before the Messiah, the Savior of the world. A genuine article is right there in front of her. She says, Lord, I need you. A pagan woman with audacious faith that gets results, all right? Incredible, audacious faith that gets results. And I think there's so much we can learn from this woman in this passage. And we understand now, listen, Jesus is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. No one is beyond his reach. But this woman had a faith that mattered and a faith that Jesus said, listen, that's an incredible answer. I can't even deny you that. So you go home right now and your daughter is healed. She gets exactly what she came for because of her faith. And I think that this woman understood something that we all need to understand, something that the disciples hopefully learned when they were standing there watching her interact with Jesus. And that's just something that this that we talked about here before at King's Church, but it matters so much is that our praise unlocks power. And when this woman called him Lord, she recognized him for who he was as the Savior, the Savior of the world, her Messiah, like her only hope that her praise unlocked that power in her life. That she called Jesus for who he was and called him good even in the moments of her darkness and her, her weakness, like her faith in Jesus unlocked the unlimited power and the miracles for her daughter. And what's fascinating to me is that there's a very real element of our faith and a very real element of our praise that rubs off and affects the people around us, even if they're not the ones doing the praising. You know what I'm saying? Because this woman's daughter was the one who was tormented by the evil spirit. This woman on her own seemed to be doing all right. Like she was healthy, she was fine, she was there. It was her daughter that was back home that was sick and that was being tormented by this evil spirit. And she was there for her. She praised God in that moment and said, gave him praise and exalted him for who he was. And because of that, her daughter's life was changed. Her daughter received healing. Her daughter's life was affected. The daughter didn't even need to be in the room to benefit 
benefit from the praise that was happening. Are you getting what I'm saying here, church? Is that like our praise unlocks power, not only in our own lives, but it affects everything around us as well. It affects our families. Like we've got family members that we would love to have in church with us, and we would love to see them praising Jesus, and sometimes we just need to praise God for them. Amen? We need to start believing that our praise unlocks power for us, and it unlocks power around us, it unlocks power in our families' lives. Like there is something that's if you just there's, there's that kind of thread through the gospel that if you read it, something shifts and moves in the people around us even. Like they're affected and they almost get like the rub off and the runoff of the praise that's happening in our life. And this woman here today, like because of her praise and the power that she unlocked, everything changed for her. Everything changed for her family. And for me, I grew up in church when I said the word praise, like I always thought praise was what I did when everything in my life was going really good. You know what I'm saying? Like praise meant, man, God, you just did something amazing. You just gave me a promotion. You just show, you just did a miracle. Like you did something so good in my life that I can't deny. And now I'm going to give you praise for it. I'm going to say thank you for all the good things you've done for me. And thank you for showing up in that circumstance in my life. And what I have learned, you know, as my, as my faith has grown and I've gotten close, I've known God more, just understood more about how he operates in the world is that praise. Sure, we do it when things go good, but even more, I need to praise when things are going bad. You know what I'm saying? Because that praise is what unlocks power in my life. If I want to unlock power in my situation, if I want to see miracles start to happen, if I want to see the Spirit of God really move into my situation, sure, I could just ask for it, but when I start praising and when I start calling him Lord and tell him who he is, like, God cannot resist praise. And it's not, he doesn't tell us to praise him, church, because he needs it and he wants to hear it from us and he, he like needs us to pat his ego. No, he does it because he knows it's what we need. He tells us to praise. He instructs us to praise him. He instructs us to worship and to lift our hands, even in our moments of weakness, because he knows that's what unlocks that power in our life. That's what brings the healing. That's what brings the breakthrough. That's what brings the miracle. And this woman, as a pagan, even understood this better than all of these important Jewish people, these chosen children, the lost sheep that were standing around. She understood something they didn't, is that our praise unlocks power. If we want the power, we've got to praise. That's where it comes from. That's how we tap into it. That's how we unlock it. And what I love is that this woman in the story, she didn't sit around and she didn't whine and feel sorry for herself and say, oh man, like my, 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 my whole life is going down the tubes and I just, I don't know what to do. She just started praising and giving God praise in that moment. She didn't need the whole loaf. All she needed was a crumb. All she needed was just a glimpse of God's power. And she believed that so much and her audacious faith was rewarded with incredible results. So many times we start playing the comparison game, right? And we start saying, well, I don't know why God would do that for them and not for me, or why do I have to go through this and they don't have to do this? And that, that diminishes our power immediately because we're taking the focus off of the one who matters the most, right? The one who spoke purpose over our life. God cannot resist our praise and our praise unlocks power. And this woman saw it happen in spades for her that day. And the second thing I think the disciples needed to learn from her and we need to learn from her is that our persistence unlocks provision. And what I love about this lady is that she was not taking no for an answer, right? You ever been somewhere when you know nobody else wanted you to be there? Ever happened? You ever felt that way? You ever been in a situation where that was a dynamic that was playing out? Like that is, none of us like being in that kind of situation. And this woman was there and you better believe that she had to have had her moments of self-doubt to say like, man, maybe I overstepped here. Like maybe I should just go home. Like none of these, none of these important men want me to be here. Like I I don't, like there's no reason I should be here. But her persistence is what unlocked her provision in this moment. 
she starts begging to him and he doesn't speak a word and she just keeps begging and she starts worshiping him and calling him for who he is. Like, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you are the savior of the world. Even if your people don't believe it, even if your children don't believe it, your lost sheep, your followers, your disciples, I believe in who you are, Jesus. And I just need a glimpse of your power. It was her grit. It was her determination. It was her unwillingness to settle for anything less than what God had to offer her. And I read a story like that. I read a passage like that and an example of that a woman's life and to think, man, what are the things in my life that I pray for and that I contend for and I ask God for? And what am I really willing to do to get it? What am I really willing to do to see it through, to see it happen, to see it come to pass? Like how persistent am I willing to be? Will I pray, will I pray for a week? Will I pray for a month? Will I pray for a year, five years, 10 years? Like how persistent am I willing to be to unlock the provision that I believe that God wants to give me, the provision that he's more than able to provide in my life? Like how often have I thrown in the towel right before the moment of breakthrough? How often have I given up on something or walked away from something like right before God wanted to move in, right before the time was right and the time was perfect? Again, that persistence and our praise and our constant praise, no matter what's going on or what's happening around us, that's where God does the best work in our lives. Like sometimes we read things like that and we think, oh, like I can actually change God's mind. I can actually like make God, you know, change his course of action and do something different. And here's the thing, when we're persistent and when we're praising, like we're not changing God. I don't believe that we're changing the mind of God, but what we are doing is we're aligning our heart and our mind with his And we're starting to say, okay, God, I believe in you, God. I trust in you, God. I want to do this with you. And so it does a huge work in our life, not not in God's. Again, the reason he asks us to do this, the reason he instructs us to do this is because he knows what it does for us. He knows what it unlocks for us. Persistence unlocks provision. Practice makes perfect. We know that's true in every area of our life, right? You know, my kids, they want to do something like, they, like uh, they know and they understand and I have to help them understand as a father that like you're not going to do something perfect the first time. You're not going to be amazing at it the first time. That We need to learn to practice. We need to learn to find the rhythms. We need to like we talk about we don't know how to pray. Well, you're never going to know how to pray until you start praying, right? You're never going to how to praise and worship until you start doing it and you just sort of figure out what it looks like, figure out how to incorporate that into our life, figure out how to dial into what God is doing and what his plan for your life is and where he's taking you. You'll never, ever regret it. Unlocks amazing power and provision in our life. Luke chapter 11 says this about persistent prayers. In verse 5, it says that then teaching them more about prayer. We'll get into more of this in our prayer series. Jesus used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight. I love this. Jesus was funny, right? Like this is, this, you got to think, like it's okay to laugh at this story. Like suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. And you say to your friend, hey, somebody just arrived at my house for a visit and I have nothing for them to eat. It's midnight. Suppose he calls out from his bedroom. Don't bother me. The door is locked. I'm in bed for the night. My family and I were sleeping. Like, I, I can't help you. Come back at a reasonable hour, and then I'll give you some stinking bread for your friends. Like, they don't need to eat at midnight. Like, go home and leave me alone. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, you keep beating on the door, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Like, just to get rid of you. He'll eventually come and say, take your stinking bread and go home and feed your friends so I can go back to sleep. You're keeping me awake. 
And so I tell you to keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. And everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. That'd be ridiculous. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask for it? And I love that picture. And even the, even the picture he uses there at the end of, of fathers and children because it's so relatable to us, isn't it? Like we know how to give good gifts to the people that matter to us. We know how to good, give, good, good, <laughs> give good gifts to the people that we love and to our children and to watch out for those that are ours. And how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to you? There's sometimes my kids ask me for things that they want and then in their minds that they desperately need and they desperately desire, but I know that it's not what's best for them, at least not at this moment in their life. And there's a lot of times when I say no to my kids and they don't understand why. And I gotta believe that that same kind of thing is true, that if God says no to something in a moment, it's because there's another plan. It's because there's something greater at work. It's because there's something even better tomorrow for me that I don't even know to ask for today. I can trust him the way I want my kids to trust me when I say no to them. How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to the people that ask for them? They won't withhold things from us. Like God's not up there looking just to dangle things and say, man, if you just, if you just dance and if you just do this, just right. If you just, if you say the right words when you're praying, if you just have a little more faith, like that person's getting what they want because they have more faith in you. That person's getting what they need in their life because they know how to pray. They know how to, they know how to say the right words and conjure up the right. Like the, these are the ways that we think, aren't they? If we're just being honest and real in church. They've got it more dialed in and they've figured it out. Listen, God's not withholding anything from you. He's not waiting for you to dance and to perform in just the right way. But I do know that when we start to praise and we persistently go after God and the heart of God, that it starts to transform us, it starts to strengthen us, it starts to build our faith, it starts to build our character, and that's where everything begins to shift. God wants to give you good things in your life even more than you want them. And here's the thing too, God's not, like I've gotta make this caveat, God's not a genie. It's not like Aladdin where you get to, if you rub the lamp the right way, you get to, you're granted three wishes. Like that's not, that's not how it works. God's not already withholding those things from you. But God wants us to unlock the power that he's given us, that he's made available to us to recognize him for who he is, to trust him for who he is, to trust him for what he's called us to and what he's doing in our life. He said, you know, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. Just all you need is a little tiny bit, Right? We can do a little with a lot. You could make it on the crumbs, baby. You could do it, all right? That's all you need is a crumb. This lady understood it. all you need is a crumb. But here's the thing. Jesus died so you could have the whole loaf. That you're not waiting on just a little bit and just a little piece. Like that now it's for everybody. It's for all of us. Jesus made his power available to every single one of us. That the cross was a great equalizer. I hit the foot of the cross. All ground is equal. That we are all clothed in the confidence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We are all clothed in the confidence and the power of Jesus Christ. Because he made the way. He made it possible for every single one of us. No one has more access to it than anybody else. 
This lady just sort of like started the, 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 the world thinking differently about who Jesus was and what the gospel represented. Like she, she cut in line. She got there before she was supposed to. But listen, Jesus couldn't deny her because she recognized him for who he was. Her praise unlocked power. Her persistence unlocked provision. Jesus desperately wants to pour out more revelation in our lives. He wants to pour out more of himself in our lives. But he wants us to want it. He wants us to be willing to put in the work. He wants us to go after it. He wants us to desire it. He wants us to believe for it. He wants us to to want it more than anything else. He wants us to want him more. And what I love about this story is, listen, this, this lady received her miracle on a crumb. She received her miracle on other people's junk, other people's leftovers. God is in the recycling business. He doesn't waste anything. He loves taking a broken down, used, discarded situation, discarded person that's got so much junk and brokenness on it that nobody else could ever find a purpose or a reason for it, and then to recycle it and to restore it and make something beautiful and something incredible out of it. That's what God does. That's who he is. That's what the entire gospel represents. He restored this woman's life in a moment and in an instant. He changed her entire situation, even one that was broken and messy and on the surface seemed undeserving and unworthy. God changed the entire thing. God wants to fill our lives. God wants to give us the desires of our hearts. God wants us to align ourselves with him, but sometimes we just need to begin praising even in the moments where we don't understand, even in the moments of doubt, even in the moments where we so desperately need something, instead of just begging and asking, like he wants us to begin to praise. And so just I, I wonder, like we're so good at this as a church and we've already been praising and worshiping in this place today. And again, man, if you're in your trailer, like start pumping up the worship music, all right? Because I think that God wants our faith to rise together corporately. Because there's something awesome that happens too, is that sometimes you may feel like if you're going through it today, you're like, oh man, I totally get this. I need to praise. But sometimes we just honestly feel like we don't have the strength, don't we? Like sometimes we're just not, sometimes it's just so feeble and it's just a matter of just, just even beginning to think on higher things and beginning to think higher thoughts and beginning to just pull ourselves out of that gutter a little bit. And sometimes our praise is for the people around us just as much as it is for us. Amen? Like that's what it means to be a church and to be a body is that we get people around us who praise God on our behalf, who will praise God with us in the middle of our storm. That's part of the strength of doing life together. We are built together in kingdom community. Amen. And when we begin to praise together, faith begins to rise in the room. And sometimes when your faith begins to rise, it affects the people around you. It affects your family. It affects people that you love that aren't even in this room right now. They don't even care to be here right now. It begins to affect them. It begins to affect the people in our row and in our aisle. When our faith rises together, the spirit of God moves in power and provision is unlocked in those moments, amazing things begin to happen. And so I wonder if we took our praise just a little bit more seriously today, a little bit more seriously than we have before. And faith just began to rise in this room and in a moment. And we said, man, God, we believe you for who you say we are. We exalt you to the highest place in our life and we see who you are and we recognize you for your goodness and we recognize you for your glory. And God, man, would you just come and would you just move in power? Would you just begin to just pour out your spirit? Would you begin to pour out your revelation on your sons and your daughters and in your church, God? Would you begin to move in miracles and lies? Like we don't even need to know who in this room needs that miracle today, but we can start praising to God together for it, amen? We can start beginning to go before the heart of the Father and saying, God, would you just pour your yourself out in the lives of your sons and your daughters? Would you pour yourself out in the lives of the families of the people that are represented in this room? The co-workers and the neighbors and the people that we all love 
so much. And so today, man, I just want us to pray together and then we're going to sing and we're going to keep on praising together for just a moment and another song. And as faith begins to rise in this place, like I wonder what kind of power God wants to unlock. I wonder what kind of provision he wants to provide if we're persistent enough in our praise today. So God, today we love you. Father, we thank you for the amazing story, the amazing testimony, the amazing example the leadership of this woman, Father, just to persistently come to you, Father, and just exalt your name and tell you that you're good, Father, in the midst of her own brokenness, in the midst of her own unworthiness, God, that everyone else around her would have said, who is this woman to praise and to worship you, God? We thank you that we don't have to do anything to get our lives in order to come to you, Jesus, that you say, come as you are, Father, that as we begin to praise you, that you begin to unlock power in our lives, God, when we're persistent and we pursue it, Father, that you begin to do amazing things, not only in our lives, the people of the, of the lives that we love and those that surround us. So God, today, would your faith just, just begin to rise up in our hearts today? And in a moment, God, as we sing, Father, would you begin to just, just begin to stir up a new work, God, new revelation, fresh wind and fresh fire, we call it sometimes, God. We, we ask for that today. We ask for that on the long weekend, God, that you would just show up and do something amazing, God. Do a new work in us, in the young and the old, God, the people that have been here 85 times, people that have been here once, God, that would just begin to do something incredible today. Father, we want more of you, God. We, we say together, Father, that we desperately desire more of you. We want to see more of your power poured out in our world, God. We want to see more of your provision, Father, in the lives of the people that we love and that matter to us. So, God, would you have your way? Would you move among us? Father, we crown you king. We crown you Lord of all, Jesus. We are in awe of who you are. We are in awe of what you've done for us. We are in awe of what you've provided for us, Father, and how you've already moved on our behalf. God, we're so humbled, we're so broken, we're so imperfect, Father, but we thank you that you choose to use us anyway, you choose to love us anyway. And so God, today, we praise you and we praise your name. God, we ask, would you move in might? Would you move in power? Would you move as you've never moved before? God, and we ask it in your amazing name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the message today. If you want to stay up to date, go ahead and click subscribe to follow us on YouTube. And hey, if you want to partner with us in getting these messages farther, you can go to our website and find out ways that you can give and help us get the good news of Jesus further than ever before.